You're listening to The Paul Higgins Show, the place for ambitious tech consultants scaling to live better after 18 years as a global leader and having a successful tech consulting exit. I'm sharing what's working now to transform emerging tech consultants worldwide into trusted consultants that attract the best clients and deliver measurable results. When you're ready to level up your clarity, results, and freedom, begin with the free strategic profits blueprint available at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint. Imagine this, you have traction with your tech consulting business and you've thought of an exit, but you don't really know the right steps and the right timing. Hi, I'm Paul Higgins and welcome to the Paul Higgins show episode number 518. And in this podcast, our guest is going to give you the answers to both of those questions as to when is the right time and also how do you set yourself up for that? Alex brings a wealth of experience from working in an enterprise software and services industry. He's worked with large global players such as SAP, Siebel, and has also been the VP and GM at levels as other well-known businesses. And as a revenue growth advisor, Alex has aided many firms with positioning for M&A transactions. So in short, what he does is get service businesses ready for sale. His expertise in leading and building software and service companies provides a core background to help organizations set themselves up to achieve their strategic objectives, which is the best exit possible. Having worked for many founders and boards, Alex appreciates understanding the complexities that come into play with considering possible M&A scenarios. Alex has a BA in economics and an MBA in finance and marketing. And if you're interested to absolute maximize the sale of your professional services business, your tech consulting business, Alex is the right person to listen to. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Alex McKay from techwityadvisors.com. Great to have you here, Alex. Thanks, Paul, very much. We've spoken a lot and it's, you know, I know we've been trying to get this organized for a while, but uh, we've given you a nice introduction and sort of told people what you do. Why don't you sort of be a little more specific around, you know, some of the, the clients that you love to work with and what some of the problems you help solve them with? Yeah, no, absolutely. A fairly easy one. We consider one of our secret sauces is, is our focus. We focus on enterprise B2B only. Uh, we focus on sell side only, and uh, we you know really like certain ecosystems: Salesforce.com, ServiceNow, SAP, Microsoft, all the MSPs, so Google Cloud, Azure, AWS. Most of all, we kind of love enterprise B two B SaaS. So you know, a product that does something. Been around the enterprise B two B space my entire life. Uh, my partners are pretty much the same. We can talk procurement, HR, distribution, manufacturing. You know, we can kind of go anywhere. Accounting, we can kind of go anywhere. We're not experts in any of them, but we understand what's being said. So those are kind of our ideal clients kind of in those market spaces. Now, we'll also look at, you know, different categories like health tech, government tech, anything to do with marketing tech, you know, so that pulls in Adobe and HubSpot and all those other folks. So uh, those are there. I would say that number one thing we do is we help people get ready particularly people who haven't done it before. We get a lot of people who've done it before and they just go like, we definitely need an agent because you know we've seen what the agent does. And I would say the majority of people haven't done it before and don't know exactly what to do. Almost everybody that we talk to, we talk to them for three years, in some cases, like five years before they call us up and say, hey, we're going to do this. And along that way, um, you know, a, a, kind of a, a kind of way of thinking is nurture them like crazy, 
And if we provide value, just advice, lead generation, who knows what it is, hiring, we, we can talk at all because we're business operators. We're really, you know, I always say we're better business operators than we are bankers. If we help people along the way, then we either make the short list and when we're lucky, we get a call that says, it's time, it's you, right? doesn't happen that often, but you know, it's a really good uh, feeling when that does happen. It means that you've really brought value to their thinking and getting prepped. It's not easy to prep. There's a lot of metrics and things you need to think about. Yeah, brilliant. And and you sort of talked about some of those verticals, you know, healthcare, yeah. fintech, et cetera. Are there any particular ones that are more in favor at the moment or is it, you know, pretty much, you know, you run a good business, you're always, there's a good opportunity for sale? I would definitely not say it's the latter. You know, the world of 2022 and 2023, the buying world, uh, you know, the favorite words were prudence and safe haven investments. And places like salesforce.com and ServiceNow are safe haven investments to private equity money and strategic buyers, right? But it also means they like vertical specialization. And it can be just about any vertical, but I would say at the top of the food chain are healthcare, government tech right now, prudence, safe haven, uh, fintech, and then just that whole big manufacturing sector, which pulls in a whole bunch of things. But you know, if you're a retail expert, can we find a buyer? Yes. And will people appreciate that you're a retail expert? Absolutely. You know, automotive? Absolutely. So there's a lot of different ones out there, but there are some that are just, there's way more buyers for it. That's that's just the way it is. Great. You know, you're listening to Alex and you're thinking, yeah, look, I got into this business with the view that maybe at some point I'll sell, but you've got deep in the, in the weeds, right? And you've run your business really hard. And this is a great opportunity to sort of think and hear Alex talk about, well, what is possible? You know, when is the sale possible? What's from listening to you, Alex, like, when do I start to think about, okay, my business yeah. is ready for sale? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably surprise you a little bit with the answers. Almost all the time, it's really about your personal objectives, your shareholder objectives, your board objectives. You know, if you're the primary CEO and owner, it's really about your objectives. And probably there's a family and a spouse in behind the scenes that got a say in all that. And what I always kind of advise people is, what can tell you your valuation, right? And we'll figure it out. And we're not going to make it complicated. And it's not going to be like a, you know, a report from a you know big accounting firm or anything. But we can give you a good indication of what your valuation would be in the market. If that matches your personal objectives, right? If we tell you you're worth 50 million and you think you're worth 50 million, that means it's a pretty good time to go to market because we would take into account the current condi conditions in the market, right? 2021 in SaaS, valuations were high. In Salesforce.com ecosystem, they were as high as they've been for the last four or five years and they still haven't changed. Yes. Right. So, you know, some markets are going up and down and some markets are, you know, just rolling along like a rocket ship. The timing question is really look in the mirror and figure out what do I want. If you come to me and say, I need 50, and we look at you and say, you're worth 30, it's probably a really bad time to go to market. If you tell us 50 and we think you're worth 100, we'll probably tell you we're thinking 80 or 90 because we, we would love to keep the little extra room. But, uh, you know, that would be a really good time to go to market. And then it's also discussion of the buyers and the fit. And, you know, it's not just finances and valuation. The culture persona of the buyer is always a major factor. In fact, by the time a deal gets done, it's more than 51% of the deal almost all the time. Yeah. And and of the deals that do go through, how often does the owner stay on as either earn out or a, mm. in some capacity versus no, completely walk away? For services, you know, so you're an implementation partner for one of the big ecosystems. 
yeah. uh, pretty much is always going to happen. Minimum of one year, yeah. most likely two to three. In many cases, you're so valuable. You're such a industry speaker or something that they want to put golden handcuffs on you, but it won't be mandatory. Typically, we, we see in the services, one, you know, match the earnout to the time you're going to stay. You know, do you really want to be responsible for an owner for three years and you leave in two years and you have a zero control over that, right? Yeah. Product can be different. You know, a SaaS company can be different. And often, you know, the head of the company may not be the product tech, may not be the true inventor, the product manager, might have just been the person with the vision. And maybe they've been, you know, sometimes these people have been at it for like 15, 20 years. And, you know, to a degree, they were just open and honest. And they say, like, I've had enough and, and I built the team underneath me on purpose. Yes. So I'm really a chairman. I'm not necessarily a CEO anymore. Yeah. And in that environment, you know, this, everybody's going to want you to stick around just to make sure, but maybe that only becomes six months. Maybe that only becomes a year. Yeah. And of the people that, you know, take say three year earn out and it's the three year contract, how many of them stick it? Oh, the vast majority will stick it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah. for sure. You know, if it doesn't work out, it usually then means that something's gone wrong. And you know, can be on either side. It could be the sell side. It could be the buy side. We see most of the time it ends up being like the buyer talked about marketing support, sales support, network support, and then didn't deliver that much. And then the earnout suddenly is is not achieved. And then you know the the environment turns a little negative, right? But the way we structure them, we're really clever on how we do earnouts. I'm not going to give away my secrets, but we know how to structure those so that you know if you miss, there's still a chance to get. Yeah, and uh, that takes very careful thinking and planning. Yeah, great. And and you know, as a rough rule of thumb, you know, how much do you normally get up front, and how much of the earnout is there, you know an average yeah, percentage, or is it different every deal? It's different every deal, Paul, and and it really depends on the market. A hundred percent is very rare. On the product side, it's possible. Right. And there are buyers on the product side in particular where, you know, they maybe already have the, a product that's similar, yeah. but they know they're missing a couple of real key function blocks that, that you've got. And they're getting hurt in the marketplace. You know, you, you beat them three times in a row and they've had enough. And they're really just after the product. Yeah. So they're not necessarily after everything else. And in that case, they may be willing to pay a premium just to say, you know, we don't want you. They're going to want certain people, but they're going to want, product people, not necessarily the the leader the leadership team. On the services side, wow, you know, we've seen anywhere from like 50% to as high as 80%. Yeah. And it depends on the ecosystem. It depends on, quite frankly, how good Techwity's done their job in terms of creating a competitive environment. You know, I always say to people, we do not do auctions. That's not Techwity. Yeah. But there's a certain point in time for about four weeks, it's an auction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and look, uh, I know when we sold our business, we got 50 up front, but yeah. the reason that I settled with 50 is that my business partner went with a sale and he had, yeah, uh, yeah. he was running the business that had to work hard to get his 50s. I mean, if he's working hard for his 50, I'm going to get mine. So it was a pretty low risk. It's always customized, you know, who's staying, who's not. Those are, I mean, there's like, you know, many different factors that come into play to a degree at the end of the day, it, will really boil down to how competitive it is. Like if we can give our seller a chance where they sit back and go like, wow, we got one A, we got one B, we got one C, and we are having a hard time making a decision and we need your help. You know, we've experienced cases where, you know, it takes us two weeks just to knock off one of them, get it down to two. And then 
you know, management of the buyers is something that I take great pride in. And we know buyers and we talk to the buyers. We don't work for them, but we listen to them. We document what they're saying, right? You know, one of our hidden secrets is we kind of know what they're after in the first place, right? And if they declared early in the year that they were all in on healthcare and it's a healthcare asset, well, guess what? You know, telling us all that keen on it is really not going to play out that well. Yeah. And and I know that when, you know, work for Coca-Cola used to do, you know, billion dollar acquisitions and we actually used to play the the buyer's book more than ours. So we'd actually say, okay, now we're going to be the buyers for the next week. You know, what do they want? What's the yeah. situation, et cetera. And then that always got us a better outcome. Than, yeah, no, I agree you know, with that totally. I think yourself. Yeah, it's a great strategy. And there are times when you're in the final stages, particularly leading up to the LOI or the term sheet, you know, whatever the terminology is that you're using. We will actually go to work for the buyers a little bit. You want it to be win-win, yes. right? And you, you're always sniffing out whether they're sincere about what they're saying and what they're going to put in the LOI. But on the same token, you also want to make sure that they're not buying into a situation where they get into DD and they're going to start saying, well, that's not quite what we had in mind, right? So we flush that out hard. Yeah. And you know, we'll have detailed conversations with them about what they're really chasing, what they really want. And uh, you know, it boils down to simple things like the people and the clients and all that kind of stuff. Great. And we sort of briefly talked about valuations before. Is is there a rough rule of thumb on valuations? You know, there's lots of information out there that's reasonably public. You know, you can get sourced information out of, you know, places like PitchBook and 451 and, you know, there's others. The problem is, is that in the, you know, the mid-sized market, uh, most of that information is not available because most of it's private sales. Yes. It's, it's hard to find, uh, you know, comparables. Uh, you might find some indicators. Valuation, like valuation in SaaS versus services, very different. So from and, a services you know, point of view, is it like, you know, I've heard anywhere range between one to three times revenue. Like, is that yeah, you know, I would that say sort the range of a guide, is, a guide stick? Yeah, it depends on the ecosystem. So like if you're in the mature industry, mature ecosystems like SAP, Oracle, mm -hmm. very often the valuation is based on EBITDA. Whereas if you're the, you know, the rising uh, juggernauts, Salesforce, ServiceNow, perfect examples, the valuation revenue. I would say that kind of the minimum guide is like, if you're not at 5 million and not even in services or product, yes. it's really hard to get a lot of buyers keen on it. They report to investment committees, the investment committees, oh, you know, many of them are freaking billionaires yes. and um, they have a short attention span, right? You know, I've had, uh, you know, biz dev folks at private equity firms say like, I can't bring it. I like it. It looks really good. If we could do it in two years, they'll, they'll blow past 5 million, maybe be at seven or eight. Then I'm, I'm all in, but you know, I, I risk getting fired by showing up at 4 million. Really in services, the real market is 10. Because that's where the valuations start to kick in. And in the, you know, the hot markets, anywhere from one upwards of into the threes and high threes are available. There have been fours. They're just, it's rarefied air. Yeah. So that makes sense. You know, like 10 million times, you know, let's say be conservative too. So you're looking at 20 million, you know, that gives you sort of a, an estimate. If you're thinking, well, what could the size of the prize be? That sort of gives you an estimate. Yeah, it gives you an indication. It, you know, if you're at 10, most likely it starts at two. Yeah. And then it boils down to what's your core expertise? Like, what are you good at? And if you know, the answer is I'm really, really good at, at healthcare, certain subsector of healthcare, because there's so many subsectors in there. And I've got expertise in these certain cloud solutions and my implementations are quite complex and I'm deep inside the organization. It's kind of like a plus, a plus, a plus, you know, and then they'll, they'll always be minus. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my profit, because I'm investing so heavily, my profit, single digit, I'm at 9% EBITDA. It's a negative. 
Yes. You better, you got to get yourself into the at least double digits. And, you know, the higher you get and the closer you get to, to 20, the valuation's going up. And let's say, you know, someone's listening, Alex, that's at, you know, two at the moment, they at least want to get to five. Let's say that range. Now you've had yeah. a lot of experience, like you said, you've, you know, experience being an operator yourself. You've seen a lot of these businesses. Now, what are the things that really move the needle to get to, to two to five in, in top line revenue? Varies on the, on the conversation, but I would say probably the number one we see is all around lead generation. They're getting most of their leads from the ecosystem. You know, Salesforce is giving them to them. The account execs at ServiceNow are giving them to them. For like a, a little bit of extreme word, but they're kind of spoiled. And they get to the two to three mark almost like because they have close friends in the network who, you know, they got a lot of respect for them and, you know, they got the guts to go do this. And so they get help from, from their buddies, if you will. And then they wake up one day and go, well, hang on a minute. We don't have anything coming from those folks anymore. So where do we go get new ones? And lead generation is not an easy topic. Like it takes a lot. So I would say our coaching there is on a lot. Hiring is a big one. You know, see a lot of people like you can't wait to hire a salesperson. So the CEO doesn't have to do it themselves. And they, they don't really know how to hire. Yes. You know, I always tell people, you know, HR help, you know, you have fractional CFO, interesting, fractional chief uh, HR person who knows how to do hiring, knows how to interview, you know, knows how to create the script for the interview, knows how to qualify people, knows how to check people for the truth. Extremely valuable. You know, I took a program years ago, you know, big company paid for it called Top Grading. Believed in it my entire life. It's a great, great program. It's, you know, the book is like this thick and you really only need this much, but, yes. you know, you can filter through it and figure out the ones you want. And interviewing is a, is a key part of it. Yeah, you know, we see people all the time in hiring salespeople. And my advice to them is, do you have a lead generation machine yet? And, you know, the answer is, what is that? And they go, it's called leads, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, and you're yeah. producing them. Yes. You know, you hire the salesperson and you say, uh, you know, you're a cat, head out in the street and go get me something. I think the number of salespeople who are really good at that is is not the 80-20 rule. It's like the 90, 10, 95, yeah, 5 rule. The 4%. Yeah. It's, it's and a look, small, small percent. Spot on. You did right. And like, you know, I, I you know, I offer a service where I go in and actually just evaluate salespeople when, you know, like you said, a CEO that's technical based, hired someone who's interviewed great. They didn't do any yeah. testing. They just basically went on there. This is going to get me out of a problem. So they, yeah. it's nearly like the shiny object. It's like anyone that yeah. interviews half decent, I've got them and then they've got them. It doesn't work out. And it's like, you know, is it me? Is it them? I'm like, so I often did audits and yeah, yeah, like it's, you know, sadly a lot of people that say they're from the Salesforce service now ecosystem, they got all these contacts, et cetera. When you actually put the, that's hard to deliver on. So if someone's telling you that in an interview and that's their number one strategy to get you leads, beware because you've already got that in some ways. So why do you need it in the first place? And yep. it's rare that someone ever really delivers on that. You're better off, uh, Paul, to invest in like, it doesn't have to be a CMO. It could be a fractional CMO. Yep. There's definitely good people out there who do that. You know, they need to be interviewed too, but you know, bring in a marketing person who, you know, knows what lead generation is, knows how to run campaigns, knows how to use social media and get them working on it first yep. to the point where you're going like, we're not following up on the leads. Now you need a salesperson, right? You feed the, I don't know where I get these weird analogies, right? But it's not a cat that you open the door and say, go get. It's a German shepherd that you say, point, yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and you did, and I think, and often it is a leads and look, you know, like we've had huge success with LinkedIn outreach and, you know, yeah. but it's, a, but we, I've been doing it since, you know, 2018 and I got a very distinct yeah. way of doing it for this industry. 
right? Yeah. But you're better off investing in something like which is structured and then get a sales admin person to run it on your behalf than yes. risk a hundred or hundred and fifty thousand dollar head. And you know, so Bingo. often I'll, I'll get that situation and it's like, no, I think that's really great advice. So that's lead generation and hiring. What else? What are the other things that you see really make the difference between say two and five? Probably the next one would be, and sometimes it's first right out of the gate and it's obvious is that they've got a strategic plan, which is fairly well thought out, maybe even got help to do it. Very often they've invested, you could tell they've invested serious time in it and you know they've got 10 initiatives, right? We're going after government. We're going after fins. We're going after this. We're going to do Martech. We're going to do. Uh, we're going to do CPQ. We're going to do data integration. And you listen to it and you go, "They're all good." I pick one and nail it, and pick one for the, the first year, and then you see what blossoms out of there. And let your customers take you to the next one. Uh, but you know, just be the friggin' best at something. It's funny. A lot of people when they listen to that, you know, just particularly because you know I got the silver hair to prove it. Been around and I've I've screwed up probably more times than I've succeeded. And that's just the advantage of experience, right? Funny how a lot of people, when they listen to that, they just go, I should have thought of that myself. Yeah. But you know what they don't, I always find that we will tell people that our advice comes more often as questions as opposed to answers. It's like, we know what to ask you. We're not smart enough to give you the answer because we're not running your business. Like we're not in your shoes and we're not in the weeds and the forest. You know, we're hovering up above with ideas. But sometimes the questions we might ask might take you to a, a point where you, you know, you might have taken a year of screwing things up before you got there. And that's why these kind of topics, hiring and focus, you know, just reviewing their strategy is key thing. Yeah. And you bring, you know, like you said, loads of operational experience, but you're doing this every day, right? And sometimes, you know, they are in the weeds so much they don't see it. And and what I like to, you know, the Super Bowl, I think is, you know, just around the corner when we're releasing this episode, but I'm like, you know, you're not going to the whole 120,000 crowd. Think of it as yeah. a su super box, right? Like who yeah. are the people in that, that you really want to target because you can do all things and you could sell something to everyone. Yep. Yeah. Sure you but can, you know, but it, the simplicity like a, is the hardest thing to do. Absolutely. Oh, bingo. Yeah. I love that word. Simplicity is one of my favorites. You know, a lot of people will, will not even be able to talk about their TAM, you know, their total addressable market. Yeah. And so that becomes, that's an issue right away. Like how do you do lead generation if you haven't identified your TAM? Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of people who have identified their TAM have done it inside like a, a PowerPoint deck thinking of, you know, maybe we'll raise some capital, you know, so they think that, you know, a couple of charts will do the trick. The couple of charts is the beginning, right? So yeah, your TAM is like whatever, you know, $10 billion. And, but you're 2 million. Like, I think we need to tighten that up a little bit, right? Let's figure out the TAM that gets you from two to 10. And I love your point that you said before, it's like, you're going to put yourself in the buyer's shoes. Not when we think about ourselves and that's, you know, that's what we as humans yeah. do, but you, when it's not what you want, it's what they want and what they want gets you what you want. Right. And I think that's where- what you're saying is so important. And so many people just say, well, it's time for me to sell. sell. I'm just waiting for a white horse, not in a white horse to come through the door and everything will be fine. But you've got to work hard to make sure that it's in their odds are, not yours. And it's the same with your customers. Like so many, I see tech people that are so in love with their product and the features of the product, they forget what the result is for the customer, right? You know, similar story to yep. the way that you've been expressing it, how you sell your business in this environment. Yeah. What's the old one? I forgot who it was. Very famous marketeer said, you know, does a customer want the drill or do they want the hole? Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't care what the drill is. Get me the freaking solution. I can't remember who it was. Love that. Maybe I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't care if you know, you got health issues and it's all about them and how do you make it 
Yeah. It's important. one of the areas where we did end up doing a lot of coaching is sometimes, particularly on the product side, it's their baby. They love their baby and they can't stop talking about the functionality of the baby, right? It's all good. People love the passion and enthusiasm. You know, some of these people are borderline eccentric and that's what makes them so successful. It also sometimes becomes their major flaw. Yes. You know, they can't scale the company because they're so like, it's all about kind of like their vision and the vision is all about a product. It's really not about the market. Yeah, so true. Well, uh, you're listening to Alex McKay, Integrity. We're in uh, episode 518 and it's uh, techwityadvisors.com, which we'll talk about in a moment. But what we're going to do now is just shift gears because we could talk forever, Alex, but we're going to shift gears into yeah. a rapid fire. So I've got four questions for you okay. and you yeah. give me some rapid responses. You ready for that? No, give it a try. All right, let's do it. So the first one, what are some of the daily habits that help you scale techwities? Okay, that one, it's focus and it's extreme focus. And it's as simple as, it's a lot more than this, but it's as simple as your calendar should include your tasks, not just your meetings. And you should look at your calendar every week, every month, every day, and look at the tasks and the, and potentially the meetings that aren't going to get you closer to where you're going this day and move them out. Or you just say, you know, that task can wait another month. Like I don't really have to do it. I guess maybe, you know, in the old school, we call it time management, but you know, work in your calendar is uh, what I would say, focus in on the, focus in on the tasks that you're doing. You know, sometimes it, you know, you gravitate to what you think is the best and you'll feel good. That's not really what you're after. If you're scaling your company, you're chasing revenue. Yeah. Great, great advice. The next is where do you find out more about you know, not just scaling your business, but like you said, helping the ecosystem. You know, a lot of it uh, boils down to things that we've talked about already. Been a lot, have had a lot of experience doing this. So, you know, I rely on my own thoughts and then reaching out to my advisors and people that I know just to talk openly about what I'm thinking. And we're very collaborative inside the Techwity. So we all like exchange ideas and toss things around and that kind of stuff. People, absolutely you know, critical, the hiring, but just the management of people when you get them in. The kind of way of thinking about it is when you hire somebody, you're responsible for their success. It's not them. Yes. You hired them, you're responsible. So figure it out, right? After that, I would say, like, I've had great success running companies, you know, when I was a CEO. I always had some version of a coach nearby, and sometimes I paid them very dearly. You know, I used uh, I used uh, Vern Harnish in particular, I forget what his company's called now. And that, what I found most of all, a lot of other good things, including just recommended reading sometimes, you know, getting things that you, articles mostly, but perhaps a book now and then on you know, topics where maybe you're struggling a bit, could be hiring. But I always found that the people I know that hire coaches, the coaches bring them a cadence. They bring a rhythm to the business. It's funny how smaller companies think, well, we're so small, we don't have to have meetings. Yeah, but if you're going to scale, you're going to have to have meetings. You don't have to have a bunch, but you know you need to have a cadence to the company. What do we do in a week? What do we do in a month? What do we do in a quarter? And so I've had great success using coaches. And sometimes it's just you know your personal friend who's an advisor, right? I used to refer to a certain person as my CEO doctor. Yes, yes. <laughs> Call them because I'm lost. And yet, you know you have a hard time admitting that in front of your own team, but admitting it to a friend who's an ally on your behalf uh, sometimes will get you the questions you need to you know get to sleep. Perfect. And if we could grant you one wish for Techwity, what would that be? <laughs> well, like you know, it'd be funny because we're in a certain size of the market, basically running on revenues anywhere from five to like 40, 50. You know, our outcomes are going anywhere from like 10 upwards to you know the highs, but not the nine digits. We have several opportunities that are going to be nine digits. If I had a wish, it would be that I could find more nine-digit deals to work. 
And, uh, and the last thing, you know, you've got all this experience. What do you wish, if you look from a services perspective, let's put it in that way, because it's more relevant to you listening. If all of what you've learned from, you know, helping people get great exits in their, in their service business, what's something that they should have done sooner? You said the word earlier, study. Yeah. and learn about simplicity. When you, I go to conferences a lot, right? And you know, super smarty lady or super smarty guys on the, you listen to them and you go, man, oh man, that is it. You know, they, they go one, two, three. And then they talk about one, two, three for an hour. They didn't get to one, two, three, just by you know, haphazard. They figured it out. And, you know, they probably looked at a thousand before they picked the three. So simplicity, if you study simplicity, worthy of reading some good books on it, certainly some articles out there. Simplicity is not easy. Easy and simplicity don't go together. Simplicity is figuring out and studying the details so that you actually are really close to what the truth might be. And, you know, I know when I picked that up, you know, it was well into my career. Uh, it was really a gift from, from one of my coaches uh, who said that, you know, you guys are you got so much going on, you know, but every conversation seems to be so complex. Yes. Uh, we listened really closely. And then all of a sudden we went, nah, we, we now know what we're doing. There you go. All of a sudden, what, what does that equal? Focus. Yeah. And, and, you know, often what I see is like rough diamonds, right? I'm like, you know, there's so much stuff that's preventing you from really shining through. It's like, you know, how do I chip away? And, you know, like you said, yeah. I, I help build the business to get to then hand to you to the exit, so to speak. And a lot of that is just chipping away the, the stuff that yeah. isn't necessary to get to the core. So couldn't agree yeah, more. It's, the, it's that, uh, you know, I'm not sure the phrase is, I'm sure tons of people have said this, right? But it's the relentless pursuit of excellence. Can't be good at everything. Pick yeah. it and nail it and just be, you know, the best at it or minimum be at least one of the best. But, you know, you should always strive to be the best you possibly can, whatever you're doing. Brent, well, look, it's been great having you on. It's great having you in our ecosystem. So you can find out yeah. more about Alex McKay at techquityadvisors.com and it's techquityadvisors.com. I'll get it wrong. Yep. And uh, <laughs> anyway, all that's going to be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, Alex, brilliant having you uh, on and um, thanks for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you, Paul. Very, enjoyed it very much. Great interview by Alex. And you can see he's just got a wealth of experience. And the great thing is that he does really want to help people. He has got a huge database of people. And if you're interested in exit, even if you're not at that, you know, five to 10 million stage now, uh, reach out to Alex, get to know him. Because like he said, sometimes the journey can take, you know, you know, between one to three years to eventuate, but he is the guy in the space for particular Salesforce service. Now in particular, he's the guy that I turn to and I send my clients to, to get a great exit for everyone. If you know peers that could benefit from this and maybe potentially looking to exit at some point, which most of you are, please share with them. They'll uh, love you for it. Check out our solo shows and I'll see you next time on the Paul Higgins show. Time for action. Subscribe, comment, and let me know what you like best about this episode. Plus, get the strategic profits blueprint at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint. 